And welcome everyone to episode 17 of Healthcare Hub. I'm here with my co-host Abhinav. How are you doing today, Abhinav? I'm doing great. Uh, excited to get this episode started. A little different this uh, time. We're going into the world of banking. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, we're through exams now, so we are ready to take on the world with more Healthcare Hub here. And in this episode, very interesting interview, like Abhinav mentioned, we're talking to Anshita Rai. She works at RBC, and she's the Director of Healthcare Markets for Commercial Financial Services. So it's a very interesting conversation there. And then after that interview, Abhinav is going to give us the lowdown on investment banking careers in healthcare. So uh, very interesting episode coming up, a little different from what we usually do, but let's get right into it. Anshita Rai is the Director of Healthcare Markets for Commercial Financial, Financial Services at the Royal Bank of Canada. She has a deep innovation background in biotechnology and healthcare. Welcome to the Healthcare Hub, Anshita. Thank you so much, Tyler and Abhina. Thank you for having me here. Just want to kick it off. As uh, uh, Tyler is mentioning, you, you did your uh, undergraduate studies at uh, the University of uh, Alabad Agriculture Institute. Uh, so in your uh, bachelor's, you really studied biotechnology. How did you know you wanted to go into biotechnology for your bachelor's? For my major in high school, I took biology as my major and I knew I wanted to be uh, moving on the path of becoming a scientist one day. So biotechnology was uh, definitely a good choice because it allowed me to explore that path a little bit more. And this was 2005. So biotechnology was also the new big thing coming up. So given like my interest background and, uh, you know, the opportunity in the field of biotechnology, I chose to do that as my undergraduate degree. So you brought up that you uh, were growing up wanting to be a scientist, wanting to get into that research area. So did you have no intention of getting into the business side of things early on or was that a later development? That was a later development. I definitely wanted to be a scientist. I always imagined myself in, uh, in a white coat, in a lab, something, a dream that I was able to accomplish. But while I was like when I was young, business was not necessarily on my radar. It was always something of interest to me as I was taking up projects during my high school and even in undergraduate degree. I was doing a lot of extracurricular activity in that space. So always curious about it, always fascinated. But when I was thinking in terms of career back then, it was not necessarily something I thought I would be doing 10 years later. So we see that uh, after your undergrad degree, you really uh, started to work at, uh, as an associate at the Bhopal Memorial Hospital and Research Center, and also as a business development manager uh, at the Periodic Info Solutions uh, Limited. So uh, where were these uh, jobs located? And then how did you kind of transition out from your bachelor's degree uh, into these jobs? So after my bachelor's, I started to look into opportunity to do uh, further studies, master's and PhD, but I did have a year's time to make that decision. So in that time, I was in my hometown of Popal, and uh, I thought it's the perfect time to continue to hone on my skills, get some practical knowledge after all the theory that I've learned in four years. So uh, I took the research memorial job, which was essentially as a research associate, and I wanted to learn how the working of a lab happens in, the, in real time. So in that job, I was obviously working on the technical side with the experiments, but I was also involved with the day-to-day operations of the lab and learned a lot about being a scientist, being in the lab. And the periodic memorial was actually, I think my first real experience in the world of business. It was a startup company for telemarketing. And that job essentially came from a place of just curiosity and you know opportunity to make extra money as a student. 
but uh, working in a startup really, you know, gives you the opportunity to see different aspects of uh, operations, marketing, strategy, planning, and, you know, HR. So I had my hands in pretty much everything and it was short, but a really impactful experience. So a lot of people who are listening to this podcast will have gap years like that, either between degrees or uh, after finishing your degree and you before you take on your first full, uh, starting off your career, the first full-time job. So you've got to fill in these gaps by picking up skills and doing little things. Even I'm sure a lot of people got laid off for a chunk of time during the pandemic and had a lot of time on their hands to pick up, pick things up. Were there any skill sets that you really felt like you wanted to hone in on when you took that gap year, or did you come out of the degree thinking, okay, that like I have this year off in between, I really want to grow in this area or explore this type of area, or was it just kind of taking jobs as they came, or was it very uh, something you were very intent on doing? It was intentional. Uh, I do feel sometimes when you look back on the resumes and see these gap years, they may or may not reflect very positively, but as an individual, I thought this is the perfect opportunity. I have a year before I move on to doing my further studies, and why not take this opportunity to you know gain some practical knowledge, and which may come in handy in future. So the research associate job was really in line with what I had done in the past and what I wanted to do in the future. But when the periodic solutions opportunity came and it came through a friend, I said, why not? Right? What's the harm? It's different. It will challenge me. And it will really give me exposure to working in a, in a corporation in business. But as I was thinking about my future plans, I was planning to move to a different country. I thought maybe I would need to take up some part-time jobs. And having the experience of working um, you know, in a startup, having gotten exposure to HR, planning, this will help me find a job. Even if it's a part-time job, it may not be completely aligned with what I want to do as a full-time professional. But you like, you know, as we grow in our career, we realize how important these small experiences become in the grand scheme of things, because you sometimes don't even realize the skills that you have acquired while you're actually acquiring them. Absolutely. And I think uh, that also points to the fact that, you know, in our undergraduate degrees, we're often very, we're focused, become uh, subject, subject level experts in a sense. But then when we leave our undergrad, we get to get experiences like you had and understand that, you know, there is the subject itself, but everything at a, at a more organizational level that makes these processes run, like, as you mentioned, how a lab operates. So that's really interesting. So you did mention you wanted to get some experience before your further education and your PhD studies. And then you actually came to Canada for your PhD uh, at the uh, University of Calgary. So what motivated you to come to Canada for your studies? So there are two reasons. Uh, number one, the purpose of choosing the country, like the Canada was really uh, this was 2010. So it, the world economy was just recovering from the financial crisis. And a lot of students who were applying to universities in Australia, in US, UK, they were giving you the opportunity to come and pursue masters and PhD, but they were not necessarily providing the full funding. And that was one thing that was important to me is to be self-dependent. And when I'm coming to a new country, I didn't want to have any financial burden on my parents. So uh, while I was looking at my options, Canada was one country that was giving full scholarships, giving stipends, um, essentially sponsoring the education, right? So that made the decision somewhat easier in terms of choosing the geographical location. But more importantly, it was not where I go, but who I work with. During my undergrad, I had gotten exposure through research papers to some of the scientists that I really admired. 
And I had the vision and dream to work with one of those. So one of those uh, scientists was Dr. Cross, my previous supervisor, and I connected with him and uh, you know, it worked out. He said, you know, great, we will love to have you on board. Let's move on to the next steps. So I hung up my interview call with him and I Googled Calgary because I had no idea where Calgary was. Like, you know, halfway across the world, when you're living in India, you're hearing you know, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. Sure, I was familiar with those cities, but Calgary, not so much. So I Googled the city Calgary and I told my mom about it and I told her about the weather and she's like, no, you're not going to Canada. <laughs> but that's, that's a little bit of a funny story there, but you know, it was also in the um, risk of sounding a little corny, I think it was also a destiny. And I'm really glad I came to Canada because this is like, this was a perfect opportunity. And really, as I said, it was more who I wanted to work with uh, that uh, really led to the decision. Very cool. And one opportunity that you also took advantage of while you were in Canada was in, with regards to geographic proximity was that you did a course at Harvard in healthcare innovation. So what was uh, what was that course like? How did you get that opportunity and, and what what was involved there? So halfway across my PhD, I knew as much as I love the science, I wanted to explore a little bit more. And you would see that from, from my career path, I'm a bit of a risk taker. I'm not hesitant in trying new things because I always ask myself, why not, right? What is stopping me? Uh, why shouldn't I try something new? And uh, in the process, yes, it may not turn out to be something, but you will learn, you'll gain some skills, you'll make some connections. So I'm always up for like, you know, exploring new opportunity. So as I was doing my PhD, as I said, I love the science, but in the back of my mind, I knew that academia might not be the path for me. And I wanted to start exploring other opportunities. And something that, as I said, I had been interested in is the business implementation of healthcare. So I started to look for opportunity. One of them was doing this project with Howard Business School where we were working with international teams and we were all working towards um, coming up with innovative solution that would improve the healthcare space and the healthcare industry as a whole. And that was quite an amazing experience because I was working with six individuals in five different continents. And I was just absolutely, um, you know, mind blowing just to work with such the people who are so passionate about healthcare industry and wanted to make a difference in life of, you know, patients, uh, just the processes in healthcare. So it was one of those things that, you know, I challenged myself to do and I wanted to do that to gain more skills, more experience, make more connections. So you definitely mentioned here kind of you know, during your PhD, having this experience and how do you say all your research strengths uh, and capabilities from uh, your PhD experiences were helping you as you're doing this course and then eventually as you moved into your MBA? So there are two aspects of being a PhD scholar working in a lab. The first one is, of course, the technical skills, right? You are working on this project, trying to solve a, a, one of the problems in the world of sciences. And uh, so definitely there's all the technical aspect of it. But the, the second thing is, as I think about it, is, is working on this project is like running a small business. The difference from between the scientific world and the business world is that you pretty much are doing everything. You are the person who is coming up with the project idea, doing the planning, implementing it, and then problem solving. And then you're also the person who's communicating that to the stakeholders, marketing the, the idea, right? So as you think about the business, very similar, very similar parallels between the two worlds. And at the time when I was doing PhD, I did not, as I said, did not necessarily think about these skills that were so transferable until I came to the world of business. So all the analytical skills that I had gained 
during the PhD through the course of doing these projects with Howard Business School at the University of Calgary. You know, the analytical skills are a big part, data analysis is a huge part because now the decisions are driven by data, right? Uh, having to work with, collaborate with different partners is truly important because you can't do it all by yourself. So a skill that you really need to have when you move into business, um, communicate. As I said, communication is a huge piece in whether it's science or it's business. You have an idea, but you need to get a buy-in on that idea, right? So yes, the technicality changes, the, the words change a little bit when you move from science to business, but you still need to have that um, the vision, you still need to have the confidence, you still need to have the communication skills. So you brought up in your last answer that you're a, a bit of a risk taker. And as two guys that also went from a scientific academic background into MBAs now, we very much realize that there's not a huge amount of overlap between the scientific research and academia areas and, you know, translating that into business between the course load between those two degrees. So uh, obviously it feels a lot like you're doing, a, you're learning about scientific research, you're picking up all those skills that you you just touched on right there. And then it just feels like you're dropping it all of a sudden and all that, re, all that work on writing papers and learning about developmental biology, like you did all of a sudden goes out the window and you're learning finance. Was that a, a big risk for you? Did you feel like you were dropping a lot of your scientific background for a different background? Or did you plan to kind of combine them moving forward and have some space for development, developmental biology in your career going forward? So I did want to stay connected with healthcare. Like I do feel that is my passion. I've been passionate about science. I've been passionate about healthcare. And that's the common string in my career so far is healthcare. Uh, so I definitely wanted to stay connected with my roots, but um, continue to expand, expand your branches, right? So the part of uh, when I was doing MBA, yes, it felt like all that knowledge that I'd gained about vascular biology and, you know, like about tumors is like not useful anymore. But as I said, I think it takes a while to really understand that those skills, yes, the technicality of it goes away a little bit, but the soft skill portion still stays. And it's very, very relevant because it was not until my data analytics class in my MBA because we started with the core course. I'm sure it's similar for you where you go through like accounting, finance, you start big, start start there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is all so new to me. I have never done this before. And uh, like I have these classmates who are bringing like real world knowledge versus my real world knowledge is not necessarily applicable. And here comes the data analytics class and I find myself to be the top explaining everybody how to use these like enormous amount of data and make sense out of it. Um, so I think it just takes a while to understand and really start exploring the soft skills that you have developed. So as I said, the technical terms will change. You won't be talking about genome and genetics anymore, but you will be yeah, utilizing, you know, same type of strategic thinking that you would in case of, you know, when you're planning your projects in the world of sciences, when you're writing those papers and trying to get funding for your projects, you will be utilizing very similar skills when you're in business. That's great. And I think uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uh, ongoing journey really of uh, continuous learning, right? So going into your MBA, did you know uh, you wanted to go into commercial banking? Eventually you ended up uh, at RBC and currently you are a director at RBC. So starting your MBA, did you know where you wanted to end up full time? Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> As I said, I am one of those people who keeps, uh, I keep a very open mind, right? Going into 
stepping into an MBA, I was already kind of coming, saying goodbye to my academic journey and stepping into something that was really, really new. But at the same time, it was, uh, you know, the world was my oyster. Why not? Like, I think MBA does, gives that unique opportunity where you really have the opportunity to like pivot, change and do whatever you want to do. So when I went in, I said, well, I didn't know one thing. I wanted to stay in healthcare. So that was always there. But what type of role was not necessarily something that I had honed on. I was open to doing consulting. I was open to doing finance. I was open to doing, you know, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, because this was my one year to really explore what opportunities were out there and where I want to be. Because, you know, earlier in your career, you have that benefit of switching and moving. And the, the more you progress, not that it goes away, but, uh, you know, the more senior you are, then the opportunity might start to shrink for you. And also you have developed quite a bit of expertise at that point where, you know, you want to continue to take advantage of that. So no banking was not, it was one of the options, but it was not something that I went in thinking, this is the only thing that I want to do. You touched on uh, a lot of the courses and how your skills from science translated to them and allowed you to be successful in data analytics and you didn't have much of a background in finance or anything. So obviously courses and exploring careers is a big part of your MBA, but you were also involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. You did business comp- case competitions. You were a VP of the External Health Sector Club and you were part of the Canadian College of Healthcare or a health leaders executive. Um, which extracurricular activities did you feel had the most uh, beneficial impact on your career moving forward? What did you get the most value from? Yes, uh, as you guys can relate, there's so much that happens during the course of MBA. There's so much going on. And uh, there's a bit of a, you know, formal thing also, like people are trying to try everything because they don't want to miss out. Uh, but I was very strategic on, uh, I, on my time because you are, you are in classes for eight hours, you have assignments to do, you don't necessarily have all of the time in the world to do everything. So when I went in, I thought I need to be more strategic in terms of the extracurricular activities that I'm doing. The activities should uh, enhance my resume and give me some skills. So the VP uh, role for Healthcare Sector Club was really great because it allowed me to connect with people in the industry. You know, uh, it it is hard when you're trying to connect with someone you you don't know as a stranger, but when you're connecting with a purpose, it is a little bit more easier, right? So that allowed me to make contacts and connections while I was able to contribute back to my school, to my classmates. And similar thing with Canadian College of Health Leaders. I think that was a great opportunity to be a student board member. Uh, you know, to get a board experience that early in your career is amazing. You get to, to be sitting with, there with the executives and of course learning from them and make, making contacts and really understanding because if that's the goal that you want to achieve in future in your life is wanting to be a senior leader in a company, uh, board experience is very, very critical. So any opportunity that you can get to add that to your resume will definitely, definitely encourage everybody to do that. So looking at your time uh, during your MBA, what, what, what would you say are some uh, courses that really still stand out to you today or something you use maybe unexpectedly in your day-to-day work? So finance is obviously the one, the one that I use the most and definitely stood out for me. Uh, I think that was also part of the reason why I came into banking after is I realized uh, coming from an academic background, finance was, data analytics, sure, was really strong for me, but finance, not so much. Like that was my first exposure to finance. But what I realized is irrespective of where you go in your career eventually, um, finance is like the backbone of a business. 
So if you as a person, like as an individual, as an employee, have a strong grasp on finance and understanding what those balance sheets and income statements mean, what really, what is the impact of that in a business setting? I think that's truly powerful, irrespective of where you end up, you know, as a leader, even if you're not directly in a finance role. So that was one skill I definitely wanted to, to build on and hence my role in, in banking industry. But the other one that is really close, near to dear my heart is strategy. I loved strategy, you know, the, the blue ocean, the differentiation, it still kind of comes to me every now and then as I'm, and, and because also, you know, I, in my current role, I get exposure to so many different types of businesses and people follow these strategies, even when they don't know that they're following strategies, right? That they could be a cost differentiator without knowing that they are a cost differentiator. So MBA gives you that, uh, again, knowledge. And then when you are actually in the field with business owners and you're hearing them about their, what their business strategies, you're like, oh, this is really cool. I know you're wanting to be a cost differentiator. So that's really great. So I think strategy kind of weaves in into everything all the time. So those would be my top two picks. Okay, so if we're following your timeline now, you've built up these finance and strategy skills during your MBA, and now it is time to take on the world with RBC. So you returned to Calgary, you're a commercial account manager for healthcare professionals at RBC. And I think uh, in our degree or in, in our program, you don't get a lot of knowledge of the intersect of healthcare and finance. You have courses on each of them, but we don't learn a lot about banking and how, how it integrates with healthcare. So would you be able to give us a little bit of background on the clients, like the range of different clients that you would work with in, uh, in your role? Sure. So RBC is like extremely, extremely well-structured place when it comes to servicing the clients. So we have clients ranging from small business owners to all the way to corporate clients. So depending on the needs of the client, we have different divisions or verticals where we'd, we would be connecting the client to so that they're in the home of best fit. Um, for healthcare clients in, in my space, in the commercial space, we have um, privately owned businesses. And uh, again, the range of how big the business can be varies quite a bit, but we are still primarily, we primarily look at privately owned businesses and the clients are healthcare professionals, which would be doctor, dentist, veterinarians, optometrists, like any that you can think of specialist. And uh, because it's commercial banking, of course, the clients that we, we work with uh, do have some sort of commercial lending needs, right? So as it's banking, uh, the lending is like the core of it. So any client who falls in that space, in the healthcare professional space, falls in uh, like privately owned business space, we will be kind of addressing their needs. So from a uh, operational perspective, is there some type of advantage for RBC uh, grouping all these healthcare kind of uh, commercial banking together? Is it more, are there regulatory advantages, uh, just resource advantages associated with this? So the way the, the commercial is, uh, is structured is we have specializations of the industry. And as one of the persons who came from a very heavy healthcare background, I can completely appreciate that. You know, having people dedicated truly who understands the need of the client, who understand the industry and are specialists in their field, it allows uh, process-wise, yes, it makes process in the back end probably a little bit easier and faster, but it truly comes from the place of providing the client the right advice right? The client is dealing, dealing with an expert at every single level. So 
these people uh, have dedicated eight hours a day, they, at least eight hours a day, they work with exclusively in the healthcare space. They are up to date on what is coming in the area, what type of needs the client may have, and therefore can provide very tailored and customized advice, which sets uh, our team apart in the industry. So financially, what uh, are the different needs of healthcare providers compared to your average private business? Is it just uh, integrating those public reimbursement models into that side of things, or is there anything, any major difference there? No, as a business owner, you have very similar needs. Like when you are a business owner operating a business, uh, the needs are very similar. You obviously need all of the day-to-day banking uh, accounts, et cetera. But then, as I said, because on the commercial side, we do a lot of lending. So that might look different based on the individual. Uh, It could be as simple as lending for acquisitions of uh, businesses all the way to like real estate, depending on the complexity and sophistication of the business, it might also require some more sophisticated cash management tools, foreign exchange, et cetera. But overall, to answer your question, the needs of the business owner, they don't differentiate too much based on the industry, but more on what the client needs are. But as I said, the the one differentiator is healthcare on its own, the between the healthcare professional, they might have different needs, but healthcare on its own as a different ball game than supply chain, right? So the things that the healthcare clients are more focused on are, or need or um, potentially like the, than whatever they may need in future, I think that would be different between what a supply chain business might look like, right? So now looking at the uh, pandemic, the pandemic has definitely affected the needs of your clients. Uh, and do you see any permanent changes in how RBC uh, provides these commercial banking for uh, the healthcare clients? Pandemic was an interesting time. Uh, We all had to, 16 months ago, we all had to pivot, change uh, the way we were doing things uh, as simple as meeting people in person, for example, versus doing all the meetings virtually. Uh, Same thing for business owners. Uh, It was not something that was anticipated and it happened and it required everybody to change the plan and change strategies. And there were, short-term measures that were put in place, obviously by the government, by the financial institutions to help out the clients. However, I think there would not be necessarily a permanent change in the way people operate. I think what it did though was it accelerated the need to become a little bit more digitally enabled. So from um, RBC is really huge on you know, being a digitally enabled bank, but we were we already had these processes in place and what pandemic did was it helped our clients uh, understand the importance as well. And everybody was that uptake of, you know, technology that accelerated just in the, you know, something that we would have done maybe in this course of two to three years happened over two to three months. So that was, I think, the biggest impact of COVID. So when you look through RBC's uh commercial banking offerings with regards to healthcare providers on the website. Uh, A section of that offering is RBC Solutions and it's a a lot of different uh, digital health platforms or or different digital tools for the healthcare providers to use. What's, uh, what's, how's that service work at RBC? Is it that they're just uh, helping you find the right tools for your your service or is there some way that RBC is facilitating that? We are, as I said, like we are primarily a client like advice based bank. So we wanted to make sure we are not just addressing the need at the time, but also 
providing clients with the tools that they might need. Something that, for example, RBC launched was uh, Insight Edge, which is a data analytical tool that helps clients make data-driven decisions. So, you know, there is all this information available with the, on the fingertip of the clients. So when they are thinking about expanding their business, exploring new geographical areas, there is this tool that they can use that comes, right? It's a complementary tool that comes uh, with, with, you know, being with RBC. So like any opportunity like this that we get to provide enhanced service, enhanced solutions, whether it's directly through RBC or through partnerships, we always uh, make, make it a goal, right? Because our, our purpose is to not just be the bank, but a trusted strategic advisor to our, to our clients and provide them advice from, to just like a holistic advice on all different aspects of their business. As someone who's so plugged in on, on uh, as you say, in an advisory role, you need to be very plugged in on the different tools and digital platforms that are available for the, for the clients. Uh, do you see any innovations in healthcare or the way healthcare banking's done or, the, or digital innovations for healthcare providers to use in, in their business that are coming in the future? Or yeah, any insight there? Um, what I think, as I said, I think the entire world is moving to be more digitally enabled. The entire world has realized the importance of having technology a big part of, uh, of their businesses. Uh, we know, uh, like, you know, just, and this is obviously not banking related, but we know there is a lot of disruption happening in this, the, the space of healthcare, whether, whether it's just patient care, right? So my project in the innovation space in healthcare was what? five years ago with the, with Howard Business School, probably a bit more than that. And at that, that time, we were already thinking of what tools can we have in place which will enhance patient experience, which would, which would uh, optimize operations, whether it's in a hospital or in a clinic. And uh, that was the, really the goal of that entire project was to come up with ideas. And now we're actually seeing a lot of these ideas getting implemented. A um, lot of the big uh, companies, tech companies are coming in healthcare space. Right, so these are like disruptors that are coming into the space. Data is huge. Everything now is about big data, about data analysis. Uh, but as I said, like irrespective of where you are, you do need to take advantage of that that amass of data that's available to you. Why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you want, want to make more informed decisions? So whether it's in the space of banking, whether it's in the space of healthcare, I think that's what people have already realized and already working towards. This is now, I don't think, uh, news anymore, but I think we will see more work done in that space and we will see more innovation coming our way, which will simplify life of, like, in just in healthcare, that would simplify a patient's life, that would enhance that experience. Healthcare, in my opinion, was slightly slower in kind of adapting these technologies, but part of that is also, you know, healthcare space is a little bit more complicated and there is lots that's going on and it's pretty dynamic. So we are starting to see those changes and shifts in the way patient care is provided. And I'm really curious to see how soon that will happen and what impact that would have on me as a person, like as a patient, you know, uh, how that change will come in place. So really excited to see that. Absolutely. And I think, uh, so my last co-op role actually was at TELUS Health and uh, just keeping track of competitive landscape. It, I mean, almost every other week we learn about a new startup or company popping out with a digital health solution. So you'd also ask the question uh, for me, I've been asking, 
how many of these solutions are like clinically validated first as, as, a, as, a, as a student in science is that something I ask and then second uh, how do consumers keep track of all these different platforms and uh, how with so many options on the market how do you really get everyone using something uh, that that you can collect data for more people for example or or be yeah. able to uh, aggregate all the uh, resources available in one one location how do you do that when there's so many options so definitely an interesting question to ask and I think it'll keep coming up in the future as, as well as issues with data privacy um, so uh, jumping out of your role a little bit uh, at RBC and looking more at some of the your uh, volunteering experience we see that you are a disaster management volunteer for the Canadian Red Cross so how long have you been doing this for and uh, what is this type of work like for you um, so my volunteer work was really a place for me to you know give back to the community it did not have anything to do with, you know, like unlike my plan to work on strategically planning what I wanted to do extracurricular wise in Mandy. Um, volunteer is really some like a place, I think, just to give back to the community. And uh, Red Cross does some fantastic work in this space of providing support to the people that need it the most. So as disaster management volunteer, it's really when you have uh, like flood, for example, if there's any type of natural disaster, you are there to support. So RBC, again, Red Cross being one of the biggest volunteer organization in the world is extremely, um, the processes are very well established. So um, I have had the opportunity to serve, not on the big disaster touchwood, I would not want to do that, but uh, I had the opportunity to kind of respond to some of the smaller disaster and uh, it's, it's quite a rewarding experience, I would say. Lately, I haven't had a chance to do that much. Uh, I have a three-year-old that takes up a lot of my time after I'm done with work. So I would say uh, it has been a little bit slower lately for me. But again, like a, a disaster, it, it also allows you to, again, get, get skills. Not that that's the intent, but really planning, uh, coming, you know, coming to a spot which is literally like disastrous and you have to come in there so it teaches you some of these soft skills of maintaining your cool maintaining your calm thinking through things before acting so some of the really cool soft skills that i have learned uh, and again well, you know the, the most rewarding part is to being able to give back to the society yeah that's a common thing we've heard from a lot of guests is the importance of those volunteer opportunities to pick up skills whether it's even just on a nonprofit board or something You're, there's always skills to pick up from volunteering and giving back to society is always great as well so one thing that uh, we, we're faced with while we're in business school, whether looking for a co-op or looking for a career after, especially if you're looking at banking, is which bank you want to work at. There's the, the, the few big banks in Canada. And when you're looking at uh, where to work, they all kind of blend together. They're all when you look at them, they're a big bank and you look at the job description more. So as someone who works at RBC, is there anything in particular that's special about working at RBC or anything that makes it unique, uh, a unique place to work? Sure, I mean, I can't compare because I've only worked in RBC, but uh, what I can tell you about RBC is I, I absolutely love this place, it's fantastic. And the reason is uh, twofold, like the people and the culture. I think RBC has a very strong culture of diversity and inclusion. Um, it, is, it has a culture to promote talent and uh, really provide you the space to grow your skills. And being one of the biggest companies in, in Canada, it has the opportunity. Like you can think of 
different things to do. Like I am in a, like I was in a sales role, a little bit more leadership now. And then strategy is something I really wanted to try. As I said, like this is something close to my heart and I want to be in a strategic planning role and I don't have to go look out elsewhere because there is so much opportunity just in RBC. So I think that's definitely a big piece. But as I said, the second is people. Um, Everything single individual I've worked with in RBC is incredible, very talented, very passionate about providing uh, the best in class service to their clients. And it's a combination of those two things that makes RBC a really, really special place to work. And although when I was this opportunity came along and I knew about RBC. It was not until I ex- experienced it firsthand is why it's one of the best employers. It gets it's get recognized for that every now and then. So um, it has been a great experience. And again, I'm sure it's uh, similar in different banks. As I said, I can't compare, but what I can tell you is RBC is absolutely fantastic place to work. So if you guys are thinking, <laughs> definitely worth considering. Oh, we'll definitely throw out an application or two for sure. <laughs> so you, did, you just touched on right now your journey from uh, more of a sales role to a managerial role where you are right now. Uh, what, what would you say is, has been the evolution of your roles? We just, yeah, when we look at your profile, we just see a lot of banking with, uh, with healthcare professionals, but how did your day-to-day change over the course of your progression throughout RBC? So something that one of my mentors told me, and I have uh, kept it very close to my heart, and I kind of try to follow that, is when you are thinking about career and your career progression, don't think about the role. Don't think about the job or the title. What you really need to think about is the skills that you want to gain. And this has been a bit of a theme in in my entire career journey, but when I am thinking about what is the next step, I plan on, okay, these are the skills that I already have. These are the skills I gained in my current role. And these are the gaps that I want to fill. So if it's leadership, you want to take on uh, some more leadership opportunity. If it is, if you feel that you have a lot of sales background, but you don't have the operational strategy background, maybe you want to take a role in that space. So I have always focused on, the skills that I want to gain. And when you're following skills and not the role or the title, you automatically start to see, you know, your career evolve to where you want to be. So all of us have some sort of end goal in mind. So I think I'd like look at that long-term end goal and try to pick up skills and roles that'll help me get to my goal. So it, ha- it has definitely gone from being the, you know, very in front of the clients, it's still very client facing. And uh, being in front of the client, addressing client needs, seeing sales and business development, and then evolving more on to doing more coaching and mentoring, taking on leadership opportunities, um, working very closely with your, your partners, internal and external partners to collaborate and provide the service that you need to provide. So um, it's the path. It's as we have been talking about it. It's a journey. It's a path. It doesn't necessarily always go as a straight line. It goes all over the place. But as long as you are picking up new skills, continuing to challenge yourself, continuing to learn, I think that's what is most important. With that, I think that's a great way to end off the episode. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Uh, As I was mentioning earlier before the podcast, we've had uh, leaders on the show uh, from pharmaceuticals, public health, private health companies. Uh, but it's been really interesting to have someone from RBC uh, uh, speaking more from a uh, commercial banking perspective in a healthcare setting. So it's been great insight having you on and thanks for joining us on the Healthcare Hub podcast. 
Thank you for inviting me again. It was really great conversation. And of course, you guys are doing great job. Good luck with everything in your MBA. And uh, beyond that, it was really nice to meet you. On this episode, we had the chance to speak to Anshita Rai, who discusses the world of commercial banking for healthcare providers. I wanted to add on to the discussion by exploring another division of banks that also focuses on the life sciences and healthcare industry, and that is the growing area of healthcare investment banking. So traditionally, healthcare investment banks refers to an industry group that is within the investment banking division of a bank. The main clients can span multiple healthcare companies, including healthcare facilities and providers, medical equipment and devices, and biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies. So to start off very broadly, what is investment banking and how do investment banks earn their fees? Well, based on the leaks table published in the Financial Times, investment banks earn their fees mainly from services such as advising clients on raising capital and mergers and acquisitions and issuing bonds and stocks on the market. Say, for example, biotech company ABC wants to raise $1 million through an initial public offering. Based on a variety of factors uh, and analysis conducted, the investment bank determines that investors would be willing to pay $11 each uh, for 100,000 shares of the company's stock. As the underwriter, the investment bank purchases these shares at $10 apiece from biotech company ABC, selling the $100,000 shares to make a $100,000 profit. Basically, in very loose terms, the investment bank acts as the middleman between a certain company that has decided to issue stocks and bonds in order to gain capital and some other company or groups that want to invest in it. So for healthcare investment banking, raising capital for different growth opportunities is definitely important, but also, but it's also important to mention something we discussed on the show, and that's the idea of mergers and acquisitions. So as we've discussed on the show, sometimes you have a smaller startup healthcare company that might be working on a new biological drugs, and we've learned how these, these smaller companies are often acquired by the larger pharma companies through a merger and acquisition process. And it's interesting to note how investment banks might be involved in these processes. Beyond that, uh, based on financial modeling and projections, investment banks can also help clients figure out which types of products biopharma companies should bring out to market or what type of prices could be set. Looking at Canada, healthcare investment banking divisions can be found at the larger banks, including BMO Capital Markets and RBC Capital Markets. And there's also a smaller firms that are uh, also options, such as Bloom Burton is a healthcare-focused investment bank based out of Toronto, offering a range of different services. So unlike groups such as biotech equity research and life sciences venture capital, you don't necessarily need an advanced PhD in biology, chemistry, or medicine to get into this group. But uh, undergrads or graduate students that are hired typically do have some type of uh, understanding of uh, healthcare business models, as well as an understanding of general finance. So overall, I think this was a cool little uh, debrief on healthcare investment banking, adding some more uh, onto our discussion of commercial banking and our discussion with Anchita. Yeah, Tyler. So want to get some of your thoughts on the world of healthcare investment banking and how that kind of related back to some of what we've discussed on the show. Yeah, I mean, I think investment banking is an interesting career in that a lot of us as young business students, young MBA students are starting to get a lot more into the personal investing. So that helps you learn a lot more about the background behind these transactions, all merge and acquisitions and changes in equity and everything. So you learn more about that and can use it to uh, in change your portfolio with regards to biotechnology companies, 
healthcare companies. So I think that's a very interesting introduction to all that investment banking. And then with regards to what we've talked to on the show so far, I mean, I think like you brought up, there's a lot of transactions similar to what would be involved in investment banking, uh, changes in equity, ownership of a company, acquisitions, all those sorts of things really tied together nicely. And I think it's very interesting to take this perspective that we took on in this episode from the banking side of things. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tyler. I think that's a great perspective. Uh, with that, thanks a lot for listening to the Healthcare Hub podcast. We can't wait to see you next time. Mm-hmm.